Hello and welcome to Sweet Talk. I'm Richard Shankel, and thank you for tuning in to this month's installment of Unidyne's C-Suite podcast. Over the course of each segment, we'll uncover how senior leaders in our partnered accounts foresee the future, the victories, and the challenges that frame organizational success. Today, I'm personally delighted to welcome Carol Silver Elliott, President and CEO of the Jewish Home Family in Bergen County, New Jersey, the parent organization of the Jewish Home at Rockleigh, Jewish Home Assisted Living, Jewish Home at Home, and the Jewish Home Foundation of North Jersey. Under her leadership, the Jewish Home Family offers industry-leading innovative services designed to advance the art of living. And if that's not enough, many of you know Carol from her other full-time job. In October 2019, <laughs> she was unanimously selected as the board chair of Leading Age, the national organization that brings together more than 6,000 nonprofit elder care member organizations and partners representing the entire field of aging services. I feel so lucky to have you on Sweet Talk today, Carol, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank you, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here with you, and it's a pleasure to reconnect with you. Yeah, I've known Carol for a number of years, and as I, we were talking pre this podcast, uh, it's kind of like we've all entered the twilight zone, and I'm going to have the great fortune of seeing her in a couple of weeks at Leading Age National Meeting in Atlanta, Georgia. So I have a couple questions for you, Carol. Number one, COVID-19 and its many repercussions have hit the senior living industry hard, complicating immensely your role as leading age board chair. You've been an invaluable voice for our industry since the start of the pandemic, sharing resources and information while providing a voice of hope and compassion. You have truly been a guiding light for so many. What has helped you embody this role so skillfully? Richard, thank you for the very, very kind words. I never thought in fall of 2019 when I stepped into the role as national board chair that this was the kind of term I would have, right? None of us thought that this was what was ahead of us for the, for the two years that were coming. I think for me, one of the gifts that I have received from this period of time is the opportunity to connect with so many of our leading age members and our business partners. Even though we haven't been able to be together in person, we've had so many chances to connect virtually and to feel really that we're supporting one another and that we're growing together and learning from one another and surviving and persevering. So. It's been a privilege for me to have a chance to be in this role, albeit during this difficult time. And, you know, I always say at my soul, I am a communicator. So for someone who sees themselves this way, despite the fact that we were meeting differently, I had a chance to connect with, with many, many of the people that we serve. And that has been a tremendous, tremendous opportunity for me. You know, at the end of the day, we have to stay positive. We have to be resilient and positive. We have to keep putting one foot in front of the other, and we have to remember always why we're here. We're here for the benefit of the elders, and as long as we stay focused on that, truthfully, we can't go wrong. Wow. I'll tell you what a year it has been, and I, I cannot – it's really not even a year. It's 20 months at this point, and I cannot imagine – 
uh, what you've been through in your role of leading uh, leading agents, well as your uh, other position of leading your facilities. So, but thank you, uh, and I applaud you for continuing. Like you said, you never knew in 2019 this is what you signed up for. But uh, personally, thank you. Uh, Leading Age recently issued a decisive statement in favor of vaccine mandates. You were an early proponent vocalizing the same and achieving 85% compliance at your communities as far back as June. How was that decision reached? Why are vaccine mandates important? You know, I remember we had a rough time here at the Jewish Home Family. You know that we are 300 yards from the New York border and COVID hit us early and it hit us hard. In fact, the the Westchester County cases that were the first cases in New York State, case number three is a family member of ours in the nursing home who came in asymptomatic to visit and lo and behold, we ended up with really conflagration in this building. At one point in time, I was down over 100 staff in the nursing home alone, if you can imagine. So we've been through a very challenging time, and I can remember so many nights and so many weeks that I didn't sleep at all thinking, what can we do? What else can we do? What more is there to do? And I remember as well praying and hoping that vaccine would come because that to me seemed to be the only real light to see an end to this pandemic. We were jubilant when we got the dates for our first vaccine clinics. and. All those clinics on both of our campuses literally were celebrations. We had music playing and we had refreshments and we applauded every single person that came out from getting their vaccine because it matters so much that we create a situation in which people are safe. The staff are safe, the elders are safe, their families are safe, our community is safe. and. I felt from the beginning that vaccine was the only real weapon we had in this fight against COVID and had thought for a long time that this was something that we wanted to make sure everybody had. You know, when we started with our vaccines, cl- vaccine clinics in December of 2020, it was no problem to get all of our elders vaccinated. It was logistically challenging, but in terms of consent, everyone was on board. Very few people said no, and the ones that said no after a conversation, they said yes. With our staff, I made a point of talking in small groups to every employee on every shift on every campus that we have and really talking about what we've lived through and the experience that we had and watching people struggle and watching people die. And I asked every small group, every single one. And I said, do you know someone in your family or a friend who died from COVID? And in every group, someone raised their hand. Now, to me, that's message alone that says this is a tremendous, tremendous issue. So in May, the EEOC issued a ruling that allowed employers to mandate vaccine. And that was the moment for me. As soon as I saw that ruling, within hours, we had our policy crafted and disseminated that said, as of July 1st, you have to be vaccinated to work for the Jewish home family. We were, yes, already in the 80 plus percent, but I wanted to see that number be 100 percent. And by July 1st, we were, we are at 99.8 percent. 
we had the we had three exemptions that we granted one a, a religious exemption and two were medical exemptions but only deferrals for staff people who are in active chemotherapy for cancer and both of them said that as soon as their chemo was completed, they would be vaccinated. So yeah, we took a really hard line. And when the discussion came to leading age and many of our other associations who work with older adults were taking this big step, we as a board agreed that this was a step we had to take. We had, a, we had I won't say it was a lengthy discussion, it was a meaningful discussion, but clearly everyone saw the vaccine mandate as something that's critically important to keeping our organization safe and our staff safe and our elders safe. Wow. I applaud you. I really do. And I totally support it. And we've taken the same position. Uh, I'm sure for both of us, we just can't understand how you wouldn't want to get vaccinated. And the, you Absolutely. see it, it, it just, it, it behooves me to see people go to a hospital. I have friends where people are admitted and then they want to know what can they get the vaccine now because of that sick and it, yeah. you know, it's, it's a little late All in the game. All of a sudden they so, see the light. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it's not just uh, you. It's the other people that you infect. It's not just you that you're impacting. It's, you know, uh, this is a big rock to throw in the water and the ripples are enormous. And, you know, I remember thinking early on when we didn't know, we didn't really understand what was going on with COVID, my biggest fear was that I would be the person who would bring it in and make someone yeah. else ill. This was way before vaccine. How could you live with yourself if you had a choice to get vaccine and you didn't get it and you made someone significantly ill or, God forbid, someone died as a result? I couldn't live yeah. with myself. I would agree. It was interesting. There was a, a newscast and they were talking about polio vaccines and some people who did mm -hmm. not get a chance to get it and what it does. And I look at this. It's so similar. People get a polio vaccine but don't want to get a COVID vaccine. Uh, and mm -hmm. We've just got to get everybody educated on this. Uh, I agree. Yeah. To say the last 19 months have been unprecedented demeans the true impact we have all experienced. But you've had to balance the demands of the chairship with your role during this crisis as president and CEO of the Jewish Home Family. Has one helped with the other? And what have you learned from directly engaging with elders during this time? I think one has the one role has supported the other in in a lot of respects. I think for me, struggling with our challenges here at the Jewish Home Family, I really had access to know what was going on in other places. And it, was, it wasn't always something that would provide me with more tools or more resources, although oftentimes it did, but even just support. You know, the, the colleagues that we have in this field and the colleagues that we have in leading age are second to none in terms of being open and sharing. And, you know, so many times I would get a call from a colleague who would say, I got a line on testing. Or I would call and say, I got a line on PPE because we were scrambling for things. So it helped to feel part of this broader network. And from the standpoint of my role as leading age board chair, 
the fact that that I am the CEO of a provider organization and was living this COVID experience up close and personal certainly gave me a different understanding of what our members were going through and a way to connect with them very differently than I would have in other circumstances. You know, I have said many times that COVID has been a real unifying factor for all of us who work with older adults because, you know, we could be in many different kinds of settings with many different kinds of populations, but this challenge, this crisis, this war that we were fighting, we were all fighting it. We're all fighting the same enemy, and I don't know that that's ever happened before, at least not in my memory. Yeah. I would there say there's the second part to your question that I don't that I don't oh, remember. Well, I'll, I'll repeat it. Uh, okay. What have you learned from directly engaging with elders during this time? Mm. That's a great question. I'm glad I'm glad you repeated it. Um, <laughs> what I have really learned from engaging with elders is how remarkably resilient and supportive they are. We we spent a lot of time dealing with people being limited as far as contact. You know, we had people in in lockdown for a period of time, and they were so maybe more than they should have been so understanding and so cooperative and so supportive. And there were times when some of our elders really encouraged us to go on. There's one there's one that I remember so vividly. We had a woman here in the nursing home who's over 100 years old, and she had COVID, and she survived, and she came out of the COVID unit, and I we had a big celebration. We celebrated everyone who was discharged from the COVID unit and recovered, and I was giving her her certificate of graduation, which is what we called them as the music was playing. And I congratulated her on surviving. And she looked at me and she said, I lived through the Holocaust. She said, this is, this is difficult, but it doesn't compare. This will pass. You'll, you'll all get through this. And I thought, you know, you have so lifted me today Wow, my role is supposed to be to lift you and how beautiful it is that that's reciprocal. Um, I think the other thing that has been significant, and I'll mention it with respect to the elders, is that I think many of us have become even stauncher advocates for protecting the rights and choices of our elders. You know, I have spoken many times about my concerns and all of our concerns that our elders really were treated like prisoners during the worst days of COVID. And at no point did anyone really recognize that they have rights and they have choices. And to have a nameless, faceless governmental entity say, lock them in their rooms, lock them in their apartments is not right. And it's not something that our elders or we should ever stand for again. Did we keep people safe? Yes. But at certain points in time, were there not opportunities for us to say to the elders, what's most important to you? If your life as a 95-year-old is completely diminished because you're locked in your room and you can't see your daughter who is your lifeline, what, are, what good are we achieving? And I think that 
more thoughtful balance in the case of the God forbids we ever have to do something like this again is really critical. Hmm. Uh, I, you just so impressed me with that example of the Holocaust. It's kind of hmm. heart-wrenching to hear that because that's the first time I did it, and it's a great way to look at life uh, of how bad things were, but some of us never knew how bad, bad things could be. So, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you for a lot of years, and you have a contagious style coupled with unmatched talent. How do you approach the challenge of setting an example for executives who are leaders themselves? Thank you. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, you know, I there are certain precepts that I think we need to live by as leaders. I think it is incumbent on us, and I will tell you that this was something I really found within myself during during what I was called the, the five-year-long month of April 2020, during the dark days for us as an organization, is that we have to remain positive. We, not Pollyanna, not everything's coming up roses, but that we have to remember that our attitude influences our staff's attitude, and the staff's attitude influences the attitude of the elders. It's contagious. And if we, you know, we're all wearing masks, and every morning we would have our stand-up meeting in a very large space, so we were quite distanced with our masks on. And I would, I would give this lecture at the end of every meeting, and I would say, you know, they can see your eyes. And if you walk out of this meeting or any other place, and you look frightened, and you look unsure, and you look like you have no confidence, then everybody else is going to feel that way. But if you if you continue to, to believe that we're going to figure this out, we've got this, we've got to lead people in, an, in a positive way, I think that really matters. I think we have to be, as leaders, I think we have to be resilient. We have to say not, oh, you know, this is bad. I'm just going to put it, put it aside and bounce back. I don't mean that. But that we use our experiences to inform how we rebuild and how we come back. And that wallowing in the challenges does not lead us to what has to happen next. We have to figure it out together. We have to help people be resilient because only by being resilient, modeling resilience, do we build resilient organizations, organizations that will survive going forward. And I think the third thing for me is uh, communication. You know, no, no issue was ever resolved by maintaining silence or keeping secrets or not being transparent. I personally and organizationally believe that transparency is critical and that our elders, our staff, our family members, everybody has to know what's going on. If you don't have the information, as you well know, what happens is people fill in the blanks with their own misinformation. And that's much more dangerous than just facing the facts and being real. And I'll add one more, and the last one is, we have to remember how to have fun. We have to remember that even in the darkest days that we have to come up with ways to help people break the tension, to smile, to feel more positive. We did, you know, we, we're very, um, we like to have fun in this organization. 
even on tough times, people were decorating. We were wearing a lot of these disposable coveralls. People were decorating them. They were like putting designer logos or they were coming up with anti-COVID slogans. We had a PPE fashion show of the staff. It took maybe 15 minutes, but everybody in the building was laughing. We would walk around with like silly gifts for people. At a point in time, toilet paper was, you know, the scarce commodity. So we wrote a clever saying that I can't remember right now, and we packaged up the toilet paper with little bows, and we handed a roll of toilet paper to every staff person. We walked around with candy. We walked around with um, when we wanted people to remember to um, stay in their bubble, right, and not be involved with a lot of people when they were not at work. We had out bubble gum with little notes that said, don't forget to stay in your bubble. You know, I think it's so important to remember that people need a break in the tension. They need to smile. They need to laugh. They need to remember that, yeah, things are hard, but we'll get through it. You know, I always say you can never lose your sense of humor. And in the darkest days, it's what keeps you sane. And I remember during COVID, I don't know, I'm trying to recollect, but we, uh, myself and my significant other, we had, we were, something was coming up and we just burst out laughing. And you know what? It felt good. It does. Mm -hmm. So talking about laughter, we we do. Uh, Work's tough enough, but you can have fun at work too. Uh, Enhancing joy is a concept that often comes up in the senior living industry but it's most often singularly applied to the residents and independent living. How do the facilities you lead make aging a vital and meaningful experience for residents in assisted living, skilled nursing, or memory care, and its importance? I think that's a huge, huge, huge priority for all of us that work with older adults. And we work very hard on not just joy, but also purpose to make sure that people feel engaged and they feel connected. And, you know, even in the worst days of COVID, we would gather people in doorways and do doorway dancercise. You know, we we did doorway bingo. We did um, all kinds of things to try and get people engaged and to make them feel connected. Um, we did tremendous number of Zoom programs that we aired in elders' rooms to keep them feeling like they knew what was going on on both of our campuses. Now that life has returned to some semblance of normal, we're, we do so many things to help people feel connected. Music is huge, and music, as we all know, is the universal language. So we have concerts both in our memory care settings and in our nursing home and assisted living settings. We have a group at assisted living that's um, reading plays out loud. And we have two volunteers that are coming in and they're doing a whole series of Neil Simon that they're absolutely loving. We do all kinds of exercise in all of our settings, Tai Chi and yoga and dancercise and you name it, we're doing it. We want people to be active. We want people to smile. We want people to laugh. We have a cafe area in the nursing home that we just renovated. In fact, during COVID, we have comedy club once a week in there, and and somebody is in there cracking jokes. We do karaoke, anything that would be fun. On the assisted living campus, we have an incredibly creative team over there. They do happy hours, 
probably four days a week, and every one of them follows a different theme. So they they did beer pong, believe it or not, a couple of weeks ago, which everyone thought was hysterically funny. They do, um, in the wintertime, their happy hour could be cocoa and s'mores. We've had hot pretzel happy hours, margarita happy hours, um, root beer float happy hours. Again, not that everything has to be about food, but food is a universal connector as well. You know, People need to continue to have experiences, whether they're creative experiences or entertainment experiences. Just because you are elderly or you have certain impairments doesn't mean that you can't have a rich and fulfilling and fun life. And, you know, we have as an organization here taken elders to Israel on missions twice over the last seven years. In fact, this would have been the year to do it, but we're we're off a little bit because of COVID. You know, we took nursing home residents and assisted living residents, some of their wheelchair bound on a full scale 10 day trip to Israel. We had them everywhere from the top of Masada to soaking in the in the Dead Sea. So if there's anything that you or I can do other than maybe climb Mount Everest, most of our elders can do it. We need to give them those opportunities, and we have to remember that they have far more ability than than perhaps other people see, and, and to look for that and to maximize that. Wow. Wow. I will count me in on the margarita, that one I really like. <laughs> That's a great idea. So even though it's only about 12 o'clock. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yeah. it's, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, right? I know. That's what I always hear. Uh, Carol, you're a passionate advocate for elder abuse recognition and prevention. And it's something you don't see in a lot of people. You hear about it. But under your leadership, the Jewish Home Family opened a shelter, Senior Haven, in 2015. Have you seen demand for services grow since then? And what should others in the industry know about this problem? Thank you for asking about that. I actually became involved with the elder abuse prevention movement around 2008. I was working in Ohio and as um, part of an Association of Jewish Aging Services meeting, met Dan Reingold who runs the Hebrew Home at Riverdale in New York. And Dan, Dan and Joyce Solomon were the first people in this country to open an elder abuse shelter. They opened it probably about 18 years ago now. Joy was an attorney working in the domestic violence space, and she had a conversation with Dan at a meeting, first time they met, and she said to Dan, you know, we're seeing older adults, we're seeing older women who are victims of abuse, and we don't know what to do with them because a domestic violence shelter is not the right place for an older adult. You know, they're often filled with small children, they have stairs, the bathroom's down the hall, and there's no one there to attend to any of the physical or medical needs that folks have. And Dan said, well, you know what? Why can't we do this within the walls of our nursing home? We have, we have beds, we have rooms, we have staff, we have food. 
why can't we do this? And so the, the um, first shelter in the country was opened at the Hebrew home. And when I met Dan, Dan said to me, you've got to open a shelter. You've got to open a shelter. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a thousand things to do. I'm not going to open a shelter right this second. But he wore me down, and months later, we had a conversation with his team and my team, a conference call, and they talked to us about what it would take to open an elder abuse shelter. But even more, they talked about what they were seeing in terms of elders who were being abused and the fact that there were no resources to help them. And we got off the phone, and I looked around the room at my management team, and everybody's eyes were wide. And it wasn't even a question of, are we going to do this? The question was, when can we start? So we opened our, I opened my first shelter there, and when I came to New Jersey in 2014, one of my first priorities was to open an elder abuse shelter here. There are different models around the country. Ours is a model that is based in our residential facilities that says an, a victim of elder abuse, and we define that as someone 65 or over, who has, um, is in an urgent or emergent situation, can come to us for shelter for a period of 90 to 120 days at no charge. And all of the support services are in place from therapy to medical care to whatever else they need to make sure that they have a safe haven, a separation from the abuser, and an opportunity for them to recover and to go on to live a healthy, safe, and dignified life. So the work we've been doing in this arena has been really meaningful for us, and the stories of victims are just heart-wrenching. During COVID, for us, we found it was impossible to admit a victim to our shelter because we were not at taking any admissions at all. And interestingly, since things have opened up, we are seeing more referrals come in. I think my personal theory is that families that were in lockdown together, it likely exacerbated the tensions that may have already existed. It may indeed have exacerbated the abuse that already existed. We work very closely with adult protective services in our community, as well as with many, many referral sources because our mission is twofold. One is certainly to provide shelter, but the second that is equally significant, even more significant, is to educate. Educate the professional community, educate the lay community about what elder abuse is, about what to look for, and certainly about what to do if you suspect it. It is work that we all need to be doing. The research nationally, just in the United States, indicates that there are between two and a half and five million victims of elder abuse each year in this country. And there are 20 shelters around the country. Wow. That's not wow. enough. It's not yeah. enough. So many victims are never recognized. They're not believed. They don't have access to support. They they have some cognitive impairments, so no one's listening to them. The abuser is isolating them, and no one's paying attention. Our older adults are entitled to live safe lives, and we all need to be better educated about elder abuse, as well as know what to do about it. 
Wow. I applaud you that I, I find it amazing. I think you've said five shelters for two and a half million potential uh, elders. Uh, amazing, amazing. Uh, 20 shelters and, actually across the country, but still nowhere near enough. No, nowhere near my gosh. Enough. And my last question, and I don't know how you do all these things, because when I ask you this one, this <laughs> just adds to, you know, running your your day job, your night job, and maybe I guess this is your job after midnight or something, but I, I'm <laughs> amazed at this. You've written about how the pandemic made it possible for you to become a registered yoga teacher this year by taking classes remotely in your spare time. <laughs> Do you yeah, see right. the potential for similarly unexpected opportunities for operators and residents? And what are the tools you'd like to see us continue to use as you look to the future? What, what innovations or developments most excite you? So I have... I have long talked about very sort of casually, you know, wouldn't it be interesting to be a yoga instructor? I take yoga, I take bar class, I'm I'm a big exerciser. I think it's what saved me through the worst days of COVID from a literally from a stress perspective. And there last December, December of twenty, um, I got a newsletter from a woman I've taken yoga classes from who had come to a partnership with two other yoga instructors and founded a school to do um, yoga registered yoga certifications for the first level, which is a 200-hour program. And I said, I said to my husband, you know, maybe I should do this. And he said, do it. And I said, well, you know, it's a really, it's a lot of time. It's a big commitment. I don't know if I can do this. He said, you should do it. It's COVID. What are you going to do? You're home. You should do this. I was working every day, but you're home in the evening. So I debated and I debated and I agonized and I talked to her about it. I, and I'm not a person who agonizes over decisions, but I did over this one. And I finally decided I was going to do it. So from January until the end of May, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I would race home from work, plop myself in front of my computer, and do three hours from six to nine of yoga, of yoga instruction. And then on Sundays from noon until six every week for all those months, and then had homework and practices to write and other things to do. And on the one hand, it made my life really crazy, and there were times when I was trying to count how many more weeks. And on the other hand, it was so nice to be doing something, and I think we all need to remember this, that takes us out of our day-to-day -day life, right? All day long, we're making decisions, and we're making choices, and we're dealing with tough, tough situations. But when we're doing something where, lo and behold, we're not in charge, we're the learner, and we're in a different role, there's something very nourishing, I think, to our souls to continue to expand our horizons. And I think a lot of people took advantage of the time and the availability of, like, everything in the universe on Zoom to say, ooh, let me try something new. Let me take a cooking class or let me do this or let me join a virtual book club or whatever it is, which I think is great. I do think that and I teach now, I teach yoga for the residents, which was my end game anyway, and I just, that's the best moment of my week. Um, I think going forward, the virtual world we live in is going to continue, and I think that's not a bad thing. I think we've learned that not every meeting has to be in person. 
I think we've learned that there are great opportunities for us to learn from people anywhere in the universe because we're doing it virtually. I think the partnership opportunities for us to work with other providers or other business partners have multiplied a thousandfold by the fact that we now realize I don't I don't have to be across the street from you to work with you. I can be across the country or across the world from you and effectively work with you because we've now harnessed these tools that we didn't have before. I think technology has expanded exponentially during these tough times, and I think it's going to continue, and I think that's really a positive for all of us. And I think we see the world perhaps as a more approachable place. We're closer together than ever before because of the use of these technological tools. Right. I, like I always say, out of COVID, some good things have come. I mean, there's been a lot of yeah. bad, yeah. but, I mean, the technology changes of using video conferencing, I don't believe anybody used it the way we use it today. Uh, and, and even the technology has improved so quickly from even the beginning of the pandemic to now. Um, Unbelievable. So it, Unbelievable. It but And I, I think the other thing, what you're saying, it seems to me, is it's okay to do something for yourself. And that's what you did. You, you took up yoga and got, got as an instructor, it, it's become something for you that you wanted to do as well. And that's wonderful. I think so, we, we have to remember that we got to take care of ourselves. If well, we that's take what care I, of ourselves, I think you're, we can't take care of anyone else. I agree, and sometimes we're oh, so oh, shocked when we take time to ourselves, and everybody works hard. I mean, it's a seven-day-a-week business, oh, and that, oh, mm-hmm. it never goes <laughs> sure. seven days a week by 24 hours. So, Well, yeah, Carol, right. firstly, oh, I know how in demand your time is, and it's been great to speak with you today. Thank you for joining me on Sweet Talk and sharing your perspective. Honestly, your wisdom and compassionate leadership for your New Jersey communities, leading age, the senior living industry, and yoga has served and has helped foster unity in this during a very tough time. As a bronze sponsor, I'm looking forward to the leading age annual meeting and expo in Atlanta, and I'm sure many of my listeners are too. I hope those of you at home join me on Sweet Talk for more insights into key leaders in senior living. Until next month, stay safe and be well. And thank you, Carol. Thank you, Richard. It was a pleasure. 